Buckle up, M. It's story time. It's late at night at a home outside Washington, D.C. A group of priests gather around a sleeping child strapped to a bed. They're ready to go to battle against a spirit trapped inside the teen. Mm, it sounds stressful. <laughs> it sounds, I was going to say spooky, but yeah, stressful also. <laughs> Very oh, stressful. So stressful. <laughs> the furniture shakes, objects fly across the room, and everyone is aghast as the child thrashes violently. Today, we're talking about one of your favorite stories. You've probably already guessed it. It's some of the real-life events that inspired the movie The Exorcist. Yeah. Anyone else who's listening and doesn't know what's about to happen, this is going to be such a good episode. A wild (laughs) ride. (laughs) A stressful wild ride. Stressful. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Christine Schiefer. And I'm M. Schultz. And every week we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. Today we're telling one of M's favorite classic stories, the inspiration behind The Exorcist. I'm nervous to tell you the story because I feel like I want to make sure you're hearing a story you already know. Well, here's the thing. You can do whatever you want with this story. And I owe you big time. And you want to know why? Why? Oh, Christine, I think you're going to remember it in about three, two, one, because we've done this topic on And That's Why We Drank at episode 23, which was the week that your friend and college roommate Allison was in town. Oh, forget it. That was this episode. (laughs) So you get to do whatever you want. And I cannot complain because for the people who have not listened to And That's Why We Drank episode 23. Don't listen to that one. Christine was editor extraordinary. I think she learned everything during that episode because... Christine's college roommate was in town and we were still so new. We were letting our friends come on the shows when they were in town as like guest stars. And I thought Christine's college roommate was really cute. And we ended up flirting back and forth for like six hours while we were trying to record this episode. Six hours of audio (laughs) of M trying to tell this story, but then just like tripping over their words and flirting with Allison. And I just had to sit there. I thought she and was so I cute. I could listen to it again and edit it all out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It was not a good time for you. And somewhere in the folds of Christine's hard drive, there are, I'm sure there's six hours of me just like being an idiot, just completely trying my best to win someone over. But well, it's also in the folds of my brain <laughs> and my subconscious. So hopefully I don't lash out at you today as we go over the story. Just know you could say whatever you want. And this is finally your redemption episode where you get to tell first well, you get to tell me a ghost story, which doesn't happen too often, but you get to tell me one that I owe you a lot of time on. So have fun. No reason to be stressed. And also for anyone listening, Allison and I have been together for like five years now. So it worked <laughs> out. It was like worth it. So. In the end, it wasn't a disaster. It was a good time. Anyway, I'm very excited to hear your interpretation of this, Christine. Please let's crack into it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. All right, so let's talk about exorcisms, okay? One of our favorite topics and something I feel like you don't necessarily learn about in school. At least I didn't, even though I was at Catholic school. I was going to say, that's so weird. You would think of all the schools that would teach it, it would certainly be a Catholic school. You didn't learn about it? Oh, no, because I don't think they want to advertise that, you know. Although it would be kind of a cool way to get people excited about Catholicism, in my mind. I would think if you want people... Because I know numbers are dropping in the church. If you want to bring them right back and you just tell them all about exorcists, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, also, I'm saying it from someone with zero education in exorcisms, but I would certainly take that class if it was offered. Yeah, I would have too. But instead, we had to learn about, you know, super great things that the church also teaches. So we're not <laughs> even going to go there. But that was where our parents' hard-earned money went. Not exorcisms. And clearly, I am completely over it and not at all bitter. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, on that note, do you believe in demonic possession? I don't know that we've ever actually talked about this. Yeah, I do. Really? I don't. Mm. Well, I guess we can't be friends anymore. Sorry. Bye. I feel like at the bare minimum, I think that things can attach to people or things. I can believe that. I think I just don't know where the limit of reality ends. Like, I think... If it's dark enough, who knows what's possible if it attaches to something. Yeah, that's I don't know if like possession really looks like it does in the movies. It could just be like poltergeist activity or something. I don't know. I don't know about like talking through somebody over the years. We've gotten so many stories told to us of like from our own listeners of like children saying things and like not remembering it later. Like, I don't know what that's about. I feel like we hear so many little pieces of it. Maybe that fits the definition. I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's some pieces that are true. I think when I hear exorcism and demonic possession, I picture a story like this, which we're about to get into, where somebody spends months, you know, like strapped to a bed and the priest has to Mm -hmm. spray holy water on. Like that, I'm sort of like, "Mm, I don't know how much of that is like showmanship (laughs) versus actual demonic possession but i mean i don't know again i never took this class in high school (laughs) honestly that's where they failed you in the education system seriously (laughs) it's embarrassing i wonder how real it is i mean i guess we're both very lucky to not know the answer thank god i don't need answer but in terms of like my belief my standard of believing things is a real slippery slope i think (laughs) (laughs) like the hinges are extra oiled on that door so i feel like i could really (laughs) be convinced either way Well, have you seen The Exorcist? Yeah. Uh, It was meh. And I feel like a lot of people will disagree with me on that. But I feel like a lot of people will agree with me on that. It was like kind of five out of ten. What about you? Have you seen it? No. (laughs) 
Do I look like I've seen it? Well, it's five out of ten. <laughs> Do I look like my parents who were sending me to Catholic school would have let me rent that from Blockbuster? No way. That's fair. But I've also seen you watch other scary movies and you didn't fare well. So, yeah, it doesn't end well for me. I've watched exactly maybe three scary movies in my life and they probably traumatized me to this very day. So I'm pretty glad I never watched this one. Yeah, I think maybe at the time it was a great movie because it had just nothing like that had ever been seen before. So I think it, I know it freaked people out. I've heard stories of like people like leaving the theater because they were just mm. so terrified. But I think that was also it's a 70s movie made for a 70s audience or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a little you cheesy, know? I guess. Or like, I mean, there's that whole piece soup. I know that scene from mm-hmm. Scary Movie and whatever other references, pop culture references there have been. But I know the spewing the bile or whatever, the vomit everywhere. Mm-hmm. The head spinning, isn't that the head turning around? Isn't that yeah. the exorcist? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I also, uh, well, fun fact, the first time I ever wanted to like move to like Hollywood and do stuff in TV was because of I wanted to do special effects like the pea soup as vomit. Oh. So, so I guess it did have an impact it on me. It did have an impact. I was going to say. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. Well, I know you know the answer to this question, but this is kind of a fun fact for our listeners that the movie was actually based on an actual documented case of an exorcism. And did you know this like before doing the podcast? No, I never do. (laughs) I I always hear, oh, we've got a new episode coming out. We better do some research. And then I found this one and I was like, wow, this one's really good. And then when I was covering this all those years ago on And That's Why I Drink, I was like, wow, I really picked a good story to like impress a girl. And then, mm-hmm. uh huh. And then actually, she's not interested in this stuff at all. To be fair, it worked. Whatever you did worked. So I ignored the information, just stared into her eyes for six mm. hours. That's what Yeah, she, that's I did what get that. I did get that on tape. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Christine. Thank you for saying that. Some biblical scholars have criticized the film, saying it created widespread misconceptions about the church. I could see why that would be the case, Mm -hmm. and the practice of exorcism. So today we're going to learn a little bit more about the real-life events that inspired the movie The Exorcist. (laughs) So let's start off by introducing you to the child, yes, child, at the center of this case. And unlike the movie, it was not a 12-year-old girl. It was actually a 13 or 14-year-old boy. His name was Ronald Edwin Hunkler. What a name. What a name. He is also known by the alias Roland Doe. We'll get there later as to how he acquired that name. But Roland Doe is actually the name I remember from your covering of this Me case. too. Uh, and I am really happy that we're doing these notes so much later in our career because I'd only done research like 20 times before this. So mm-hmm. I don't even know if I knew the original name of Roland Doe. I don't know if I put that in. I don't remember. I tried to block that night out of mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's fair. No, it is totally fair. No, Ronald Edwin (laughs) Hunkler. I don't. It doesn't. Doesn't ring a bell? Doesn't itch a little memory in my brain. No. Well, that was his real name, also known as Roland Doe. This all started in Maryland in January of 1949. Ronald and his family started hearing strange noises around the house. They heard water dripping. They heard scratching behind the walls and Mm. footsteps in Ronald's bedroom. And even when he went to school and visiting relatives, these creepy events followed Ronald and continued to happen. Wow. Okay. Ronald's mother worried the strange episodes were maybe linked to an aunt who had recently died. And Ronald was really close with this aunt. Her name was Tilly. And she would visit them from St. Louis and was actually a spiritualist. And she had taught Ronald how to use a Ouija board. This is the kind of aunt I aspire to be. <laughs> I was going to say, so she was the cool aunt. That's what we're missing yeah, exactly. here. Okay. Got it. Exactly. And they were really close. And so 
She had passed away, and the strange events apparently started after Ronald tried to contact Aunt Tilly's spirit using the Ouija board, which is like such mm. a full circle moment. She teaches you how to use it. She passes away, and then you use it to try and contact her. I mean, I know. I mean, at least she taught him how to use it. Before. Well, that's I don't true. Know. Actually, maybe not, because if she is the catalyst for all this, then... Hmm. Yeah, it probably would hmm. not have even been in the house otherwise, but here we are. Uh-oh. So the family took Ronald to see a doctor, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist, but they all drew a blank. Nobody could explain what was going on. So instead, the family turned to their church. In February of 1949, a local Lutheran minister came to the home to observe Ronald, and he claimed he saw the boy's bed shaking, he saw dishes flying through the air, and furniture moving on its own. Mm, No thanks. Yeah, no thank you. But I also thought this part was weird. He even had Ronald stay at his home. (laughs) Like, why don't you Mm. stay over at my place? I think nowadays that might be more frowned upon, but... I certainly think so, yeah. Especially given the the awful stereotypes, so... Yeah, exactly. But this is what they did to test it out, and the bizarre events, believe it or not, followed him to the minister's house as well. That's when you know it's bad, is when they're like, oh, come to my place to get away from it, and it's still following you, which I guess would be... I don't remember the like the four stages of possession or something, but that's certainly at least one of them. <laughs> what? Staying at the priest's house? No, like something like attaching to you where it follows you out of your own home. Like it's Oh, I see. Goes with you everywhere. Right. Cause it said it was happening at school too. So he yeah. really couldn't escape it. Mm. Can you imagine just wanting to do your homework? You know, and like that feeling must be the most defeating feeling in the world. Like I just want to do my algebra. A sentence you never thought you'd say. I just want to study for my test. That's all I want. (laughs) In peace. (laughs) In peace and quiet. Oh, my gosh. Well, by late February, things had gotten so bad that he was actually pulled from school. Mm. And so he couldn't even study for his test anymore. He was so overwhelmed by this activity. He was having nightmares all the time. And this part creeped me out. Cat-like scratches that looked like letters of the alphabet started to appear on his body. Also, like... I can't imagine the stress and confusion that a child's going through with this. Like, talk about trauma. Yeah. Just waking up and getting scratched all the time. And getting, like, words spelled on your stomach. Yeah, and how things are flying around you. I mean, just, wow, it's got to be rough. At a loss, their minister suggested that the family try the Catholic Church instead. So Ronald's father contacted a Catholic priest named Father Edward Albert Hughes, And Hughes believed Ronald was possessed. He gave the family holy water and candles. But as Ronald's mom was trying to use them as instructed, she said the holy water flew across the room, smashed to bits, and the candles would, like, blow out, would extinguish on their own. Okay. I think I already probably would have drawn the line in terms of my own sanity earlier up, but that would have really been the last nail in the coffin of, like, the holy water flying across the room. That's because when you know, yeah. You just, I don't know how true it is, but in my brain, you think like, oh, holy water is like this. Impervious. It's Yeah. And if that's getting thrown out of your hands, forget it. I'd be like, forget it. What are you going to do at that point? Like, you have no power over this, I yeah. think. Oh, truly. Father Hughes came over and said he heard Ronald speaking in Latin. Yikes. See ya. See ya. That's one of those tropes of possession that actually kind of freaks me out. Oh, yeah. I'm not into it. If you just spoke, a, I mean, I guess you speak German. I was going to say, if you speak another language, I will be frightened 100%. No wonder you're so scared of me. <laughs> you hold a lot of power in this friendship. <laughs> but no, if I heard a child speaking Latin. Bad news. Well, then I was also thinking, like, what if I was sitting in on a Latin class? I was like, that's okay. <laughs> 
I'm looking for all these weird little niche experiences um, that I shouldn't be afraid of. I like to imagine that you would have the wherewithal to know the context matter in the situation, but you know, we'll find out. Okay, if I just teleport into a room like a Latin class and all the children just being one, I'd be like, are we good or are we not? You let me know. <laughs> okay, sorry, I keep going. I don't know what's going on today. I've had too much apple juice. Okay. I was like, what? Coffee? You don't even drink coffee. Father Hughes was apparently so shaken by what he saw, he asked the Archbishop of Washington if he could perform an exorcism. We've talked about this before because I know at certain points you said, why don't they just get a priest to do an exorcism? But I know there's like a whole process, like a rigmarole you have to go through as a priest to get approval to do an exorcism. Mm -hmm. You have to ask like the diocese and then like the archbishop. It's very strict rules because they don't want it to just be people running around exercising demons. Um, And so it's very rare that they actually approve one. Also, I think like for a long time, only recently were churches even like openly saying, yes, we do do exorcisms. I feel like they kept it a secret from the public unless it was a really dire experience. I think they didn't want to be kind of associated Mm -hmm. with that (laughs) whole world. (laughs) Makes sense. Coming up, Father Hughes tries to drive the devil out of Ronald, but things go sideways fast. Okay, well, (laughs) can't wait to see where this goes. Psych! It's been said that art is in the eye of the beholder. But what about greed or chaos? Hi, it's Richard from the Spotify original from Parcast, Unexplained Mysteries. This September, join us as we comb through the clues of some of the greatest art mysteries of all time. The Lost Da Vinci, the fake Rothko, the real identity of Banksy. If you've never listened to Unexplained Mysteries before, there's no better time to dive in than with this fantastic five-part special. You can also find hundreds of other mystifying stories and new episodes each week by following Unexplained Mysteries free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. All right, so let's get to the actual exorcism. It's now late February, maybe early March in 1949, and Ronald Hunkler, who's about 13 or 14 years old, is taken to Georgetown University Hospital. It's a Jesuit institution, so a Catholic institution, to begin his exorcism with Father Edward Hughes. Mm. So this becomes troublesome to me. Ronald was strapped to a bed. (laughs) Don't like that Mm -hmm. one bit. And the room was sprinkled with holy water as Father Hughes recited the Litany of the Saints and the Our Father prayers in Latin. Just if you teleported accidentally into this room, Em, (laughs) I would tell you things are not okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now we're using Latin for good. Cool. That's all I needed to hear. It's bounces out. I guess so. During the ritual, Ronald broke free of his restraints and slashed Father Hughes' arm with a loose bed spring. I hate that fact. 
Oh, God. Uh, first of all, now he's got to worry about tetanus on top of a demon. <laughs> on top of so, everything else. I know. It just gets Can worse. Can you imagine he goes into the ER and they're like, oh, what happened? And he's like, it's a really long story. I don't <laughs> think we should get into it. You're not going to believe me. <laughs> Okay, but can I be a little bit of a skeptic here? Yeah. Okay, this kid has a loose bed spring that he's scratching the priest with and just so happens to be getting letters scratched into his body. Just yeah, saying. could very well be he was scratching himself upstairs. Who knows? I think maybe that's what was going on, but I mean, what do I know? Fair enough. So Father Hughes was unfortunately hurt pretty badly by this, and that basically ended this stage of, of the exorcism. Okay. And just like I said, after several more mysterious scratches appeared on Ronald's body, the word Lewis emerged on his rib cage. Okay. Well, I certainly was not expecting the demon to be named Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Of all things, was not that. <laughs> well, so that's what I would have thought. I had that exact same thought of like, oh, Lewis the demon. No, apparently the family, Ronald's family, took this as a sign that they should take him to St. Louis. Reaching, Your Honor, but okay. Reaching, Your Honor, but I just had a thought. What? St. Louis. Maybe the demon didn't want to write saint. Oh. It's a demon, if you recall. I do recall that. Huh. Interesting. It could that's have been. probably reaching once again but you know it wrote lewis and so they thought oh okay that must mean saint lewis this is where aunt tilly lived mm, remember who okay. taught him how to use the ouija board so i could see that the family took ronald in 1949 march of 1949 to saint lewis and the strange events followed him there mm -hmm. a cousin attending saint lewis university or SLU, as they call it here in the midwest do they yeah <laughs> what a fun fact okay SLU. They suggested that they talk to her Jesuit teacher. This cousin said, why don't you talk to my Jesuit teacher, Raymond J. Bishop. So Bishop visited the home of Ronald's relatives and performed a priestly blessing. And basically mm. this entailed sprinkling holy water in each room and over Ronald's bed. Bishop also attached. Now, this is a fun fact I didn't know and I learned from these notes. He attached a second-class relic of St. Margaret Mary to a pillow on Ronald's bed. Now, do you know what the classes of Catholic relics are, saintly relics? I don't know why you would know this, but sometimes uh, you know fun facts, so. Thank you for having hope, but first-class relic. Was it, like, with Jesus or something? Like, did he... No, but you're on the right track. Like, they kind of have different value based on, like, how close they were to the saint. Oh, Okay. And so if you have a first-class relic, this is, um, get this, a body part of the saint. <sighs> Yuck. <laughs> so, like, their arm? <laughs> I think more like a lock of hair. But, yeah, maybe their arm. Oh, wow. Okay, to be clear, it's described as a body part of a saint. No, like, you're am right. I just thinking no, of, like, completely. a mountain of feet now or something? <laughs> I collect saints' feet. <laughs> Could you imagine if Lorraine Warren handed that to Zach Bagans and was like, this is St. Peter's foot. Talk about a transformative experience for all of us. <laughs> I feel transformed. Five seconds ago, I did not have this information. <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. But technically, their arm would be a first class. No, product. it would be. Absolutely. I think that would probably just be really hard to get and also really awkward to attach to someone's pillow. But, you know. Bishop is attaching relics to a pillow on Ronald's bed, and I guess he didn't have access to a firsthand relic, so like a body part of the saint. He didn't have a f piece of her skin or <laughs> he didn't have a collection an arm. 
And so he instead attached a second-class relic, which is an item touched by a saint. So a lot farther removed, like not literally part of their body, but just something that they've touched. So after Ronald went to bed, Bishop and the family heard loud noises and Ronald screaming in his bedroom. They rushed back up to the room and found Ronald's mattress moving. Mm. Bishop sprinkled holy water in the shape of a cross over the bed and the movement stopped abruptly. But then when he left the room, the noise and the commotion started up again. Jeez. Zigzag scratches appeared on Ronald's stomach. I don't like that. I don't like the scratching. I feel like, well, now with your skepticism of like, oh, well, he had a bed spring I with think him. He's doing it. It could also, like, I mean, zigzag scratches. I just watched, like, three episodes of Law & Order last night, so. Sure. I'm pretty much. So you much know what you're talking about. A detective. But zigzag, if you look at the lines, if you were to scratch your own stomach, it makes an X, right? So I feel like oh. that would be kind of zigzaggy scratches. Or he still has the bed spring, and he's just, like, when no one's looking, he's, like, frantically doing it really quick, and it becomes zigzaggy. And hiding it. And hiding it. I'm just saying. Or it's Lewis, so. Or it's just Lewis trying to get some attention. It could be. (laughs) So after that first visit, Raymond Bishop asked for help from his mentor at College Church at St. Louis University, Pastor William S. Bowdern. Okay. So the two men went back to the house, and this time, Father Bowdern brought first-class relics with him. Okay? Okay. Usually, let me correct you, it's a piece of bone or some hair, which still not great, but much better. And after Ronald went to sleep, Father Bowdern read prayers over him, blessed him with a relic. I imagine that's some hair. I don't know. Placed a crucifix under his pillow and went back downstairs. But then everyone heard a loud noise and rushed back to the room and found a heavy bookshelf had moved and a bench was turned over. Obviously, there's already been a lot of activity, but when heavy things start moving by themselves, I don't know how true this is, but in my mind, that feels like it means it's getting more powerful or it's stronger and can exert that kind of energy now when maybe originally it was like a little pencil that could roll across the room and now it's moving heavy bookshelves. It, yeah, the implication is not good. Mm. I will say I I think it's a kid, but I mean, the fact that every time they leave the room, they hear a commotion and the bookshelf has moved. I'm like, well, I mean, especially like so many stories in such an earlier time period where like they were just like kind of confined to their home with nothing going on. Like you just found ways to entertain yourself. That's how a lot of the ghosts that knew how to like talk. It was kids who had like learned the skill of like throwing their voice. Yes, and, like, exactly. It's just because they had nothing else to do back then. So they had a book from the library about Morse code and like learned how to <laughs> knock on the floor with their foot. You know, it's stuff like that where I'm like, OK, what kind of ghost is doing that? But just part of me thinks every time they leave the room, something happens. Very convenient. It's a little convenient. But you could also argue that Lewis is gaslighting everyone That's and true. making it look very convenient. I don't know. I don't know. That's true. Nope, you're exactly right. So they also saw the crucifix propel itself across the room. Not See ya. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That and the holy water. M is out. Okay. I don't even consider myself a Christian, but certainly if a crucifix and holy water are moving on their own, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know I what's going to happen to anyone. I think there's nobody I know who would be more likely to walk around with a crucifix than you. And like, you're like the farthest thing from being Catholic. But it's whatever works. <laughs> say the Our Father and hold a crucifix. That, like, that in my mind is you in a haunted house. Look, I'm very upfront with how wishy washy I am, but I will tell you if. Let's talk about fair weather <laughs> believer. If all of a sudden there was, and there has been, shadow figures standing over me while I'm sleeping, 
you know, you throw a little Our Father out, you see what Convert. happens. M's converted. I have always believed I am a lover of Christ. I Whatever it <laughs> takes, whatever Yikes. it takes, I am God's child. You know, if it goes away and it works, it works. And next time if there's a shadow man in front of me and I try something else, it worked differently that time. And suddenly the next morning you're back to your heathen ways. So it's all full circle. It is a, a very selfish tactic, but you know what? It has been a, also a, a successful tactic. You just try <laughs> okay, something good. from every religion and one of them's going to stick. See what sticks. Might be a different thing tomorrow. Who knows? On March 16th, the Archbishop of the St. Louis Archdiocese granted William Bowdern permission to perform an exorcism according to the Roman ritual. So finally got through all the red tape, so to speak, and they were granted permission to do this exorcism. When Father Bowdern and Father Bishop went back to the house, there was a new person with them now, and this guy's name was Walter Halloran. Mm -hmm. He was a 26-year-old trainee priest. Okay. <laughs> Love that he's like the rookie of the season. <laughs> yes, you know? <laughs> yeah, they like pull him in last minute. <laughs> In a 1998 interview, Halloran said he had been a driver for Father Bowdern when he got caught up in the case. So he said he didn't even know he was going to an exorcism. <laughs> he arrived at the house and then Father Bowdern recruited Halloran at the last minute to help restrain Ronald, which is like, <laughs> put me in, coach. Wait, right. I don't want to restrain a child. That's not what I meant. <laughs> it's truly put me in, coach, at the big game at the end of the, yeah. this is our make it or break it moment. That's the, kind of one of the best things you've told me. In this whole episode, like I just imagine, I know he was already <laughs> like a priest in training, but I'm still imagining a version of like your Lyft driver takes you somewhere. <laughs> like you're the Lyft driver. <laughs> like, I need help. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like, quick, we need your help with an exorcism. And you're like, I would have tore out of there. But maybe he really did think, oh, this is uh, my moment. I would my interest would have been peaked. I would have been like, I'll just pop in and see what's going on, you know, and just take a little peek. Can you imagine being that little trainee priest's roommate and like the next day the roommate's like, hey, man, you came back real late yesterday. What was going on? And he's like, why are you covered in scratches? Why are you covered in like pea soup puke? What's going on? <laughs> your scratches say Lewis all over them and you're covered in pea soup. Uh, yep. That's what sure. happened, I think. Let it be known. Let the record show. Walter Halloran recounted how that first night unfolded as follows. He said, Father Bowdern started out by saying a couple of decades of the rosary. Now, as someone who learned the rosary growing up, I didn't realize it was called a decade. A decade is 10 Hail ah, Marys. That makes more sense. I knew it wasn't right when you said that because I was like, he talked for a decade. Like, <laughs> yeah, and this is his recounted like version. I think someone likes a little artistic license. Someone <laughs> likes dramatic flair in their stories. <laughs> I talked for decades. It was and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we had to pray for three decades. But, but that's what it is. And so I don't know if you've ever like looked at a rosary where it has mm -hmm. the different beads. So each bead you go through is a different oh. prayer. Yeah. So when people pray the rosary, you're going like my grandmother would do this for hours. You just go from one bead, say Hail Mary, and you do it 10 times oh. until you reach the bigger one. You say the Our Father, and then you keep doing it. And you just go like in circles and circles for decades, basically. <laughs> Apparently for actual decades. Oh. It really, like as a child, it was just the most humdrum, boring experience. I also know like at confession, they'll tell you like, oh, you have to do this many. Ten Hail Marys. So yep. a decade. You have to do a decade. A whole decade of fun. Wow. All right. <laughs> oh. So, you know, a little fun fact for us here. I'm learning so many religious facts in this episode. Thank you. I mean, even I am. And I thought like I knew all this stuff. But now I'm learning a decade. I had no idea. What if you had to do 100? Like 
was that a century? Ten decades. Is that a century? Oh, I got to do a little deep dive on that later. Yeah. So the prayers asked the archangel St. Michael for help and asked the Lord to drive the evil spirit out. They even asked the spirit questions, including, what is your name? I don't actually know what the name was, but they asked the spirit questions, including what is your name and what is the day? And this kicked off a more than a month long exorcism process. Mm. So this is a long road we're going down here. Like a decade. (laughs) It's almost like a whole decade. The rites always began in the evening, and Ronald reportedly would be fine throughout the day, but then at night he would go into a trance and start acting wild. And the next morning he apparently remembered nothing Which that happened. I can understand from a skeptic's point of view mm. of like, yeah. oh, you just casually don't remember, so you don't have to be held accountable for anything. Yeah. Especially after you scratch someone with a bed spring. You're like, I don't remember that. <laughs> you could also think like, oh, it only happens at night, which is like when you don't want to go to bed. You know. Exactly. And I hear it. 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 Okay. I'm just glad. I mean, again, I don't want to be the party pooper, but that's just kind of where my mind goes. But someone's got to be. I know. But someone's got to be. And I'll take them in. And it ain't going to okay? be me. That's right, folks. Certainly not going to be M. It's, it'll be me. So one night, Walter Halloran claimed Ronald's bed rose up and settled back down over and over again while he was kneeling with his elbows resting on the bed. Okay, skeptic. uh, That part? (laughs) What's your take? Simply can't explain. All right. Halloran said Ronald broke free of his grasp and swung his arm, breaking Halloran's nose. And then said, I don't remember any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. The ultra gaslight. (laughs) Yeah. Man, you know, if everything else for some reason didn't make me want to leave getting my own nose broken oh yeah that's gotta be rough like now now we're out now it's too far (laughs) roll out we're done so the priests asked ronald's family if they could teach him about catholicism and convert him to catholicism maybe that would help i guess that makes sense because like if you're trying to do like catholic rites and stuff or right like yeah i love that they're like don't worry we'll teach him about it first before we convert him (laughs) it's like we don't have time we don't have time we gotta do this now time for this But as I got closer to Ronald's first Holy Communion, the episodes became even more violent. Mm. Through it all, the priests would turn up for battle almost every night and retire as the sun rose, tired and defeated, until April 18th when the rite of exorcism finally worked. According to Walter Halloran, that's when Ronald finally said the secret word, Dominus which means Lord in Latin. Okay. Secret word. <laughs> yeah, secret word. Like at a club? Like, like there's a password? <laughs> Passcode. <laughs> Halloran explained that this was an admission on the part of the spirit, kind of admitting that God was uh, superior to him. Okay. Got it. So admitting defeat almost. Mm-hmm. On August 10th, 1949, Washington, D.C.'s Evening Star newspaper ran an article about it, and the newspaper article referred to the family as Mr. and Mrs. John Doe and their son, Roland, which is how Ronald Hunkler became Roland Doe. I see. I like how they've got John Doe like and Jane Doe, and those are usually the common names, and then the second backup to John is Roland. That's what I was thinking, but his name was what? Ronald, so I wonder if they just switched the... Uh Uh-huh. You know? They picked something close enough. But, like, really close. Like, it almost looks like a spelling error. They just picked Roland from Ronald. I don't know. It's literally just an anagram of Ronald. Exactly. It's, like, very, very (laughs) close. (laughs) All right. Little on the nose there, folks, but sure. A little bit. A little bit. The article said Roland had a poltergeist 
And now, since I'm just throwing fun facts everywhere, I think you probably know this already. You might have said it on an episode before, but do you know what poltergeist actually means, like literally in German? No. I probably do, and I don't remember now, but... So the word poltergeist in German literally translates to a knocking spirit, like a knocking ghost who's knocking on stuff, you know. Okay, cool. Knocking around. Knocking ghosts. So the Maryland newspaper, the Cumberland News, and the Washington Post also ran stories about this case. And then in the 1970s, author William Peter Blatty used the case as inspiration for his book, The Exorcist, which then became the movie we all know and love and I have never seen. (laughs) Right. We all know and love it, though. Oh, to be clear, (laughs) we all know and love it very much. (laughs) Even if we haven't seen it. Yep. Another book about the case called Possessed, The True Story of an Exorcism by Thomas B. Allen came out in 1993. And this one was billed as a historical account, so it wasn't fictionalized. And many historians put the most stock into this account when it comes to accuracy of what happened. Whoa, okay. So Allen based his book on two sources, the first being a detailed 26-page diary kept by Raymond Bishop, and the second being long interviews held with Walter Halloran who was like the rookie who got his nose broken. Right. That sounds like a pretty good, it sounds like two good sources. Yeah, like primary sources, you know, like firsthand accounts. Also a 26-page diary. I love that there is a diary. Can you imagine going through this and not keeping tabs on it? And not writing anything down. Yeah. I wonder if that's part of your training of like, you better write this down (laughs) because no one's going to believe you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Do you believe what happened to Roland Doe? Up next, we poke a few holes in the story and look at what happened to Ronald Hunkler after the exorcism. Mm, A bit of a twist. Okay, I do believe, but let's see where this takes us. Okay, let's see where you land at the end. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. To nobody's surprise, there has been quite a bit of skepticism about the reported facts in the case of Roland Doe, from me, but also from many others. Understandably. Joe Nickel from the Skeptical Inquirer suggested that Ronald could have produced the whole thing. So the tantrums, the trances, moving furniture, the scratches. You know, Nickel said these were things someone of Roland's age could accomplish. I tend to agree with that, I think. I do, too. Yeah, at age 14, like, you could pull that off and be sneaky about it. A family friend told another reporter that Ronald was a spoiled kid who liked attention and that he saw an opportunity to manipulate his mother, who was very superstitious. Oh, she was a sneaky snake. Yeah, Yeah. according to this family friend, at least. Nickel also questioned how accurate Raymond Bishop's diary was, you know, the 26-page diary. Yeah. So Father Bishop only came onto the case in March of 1949, even though the haunting started in January. So anything that he had written about that led up to March was all secondhand information. So he wasn't Mm. even experiencing it until March. And not only that, but he he could have just made stuff up once he was there, too. Or exaggerated. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I was doing rights for literally a decade. Like, (laughs) 
you know someone wrote that in there for at least a, he might have erased it but he wrote it for a minute you saw you saw the pencil line of it somewhere in there <laughs> a local history buff and self-described investigator of strange phenomena launched his own crusade to get to the truth Mark Obsasnik did dozens of interviews and wrote a another 26-page report. What is going on? Fun little synchronicity there. Yeah. He told the Washington Post that Ronald was known to be a prankster and that there was no real possession. Okay. I mean, I get it, everyone. I'm just being a believer because Christine's not, and I like the duality. No, I, I am. I want to believe. I think I coined that phrase, but I want to believe, and I'm trying to be as open-minded as possible. When it comes to stuff like this, it's, it's hard. I mean, 90% of everything that happened can easily be explained with, like, a kid who is bored and probably wants some attention, and yep, there's things like that bed lifting by itself, which, like, I got nothing. <laughs> Which, again, only one person experienced and could have been exaggerated or... That's true. You're you right. know, you're but right. you're right. I mean, that part, obviously, I can't explain. One Jesuit psychologist suggested that the very idea of being possessed by the devil could manifest behaviors in a victim, which I also believe. Like, I feel like you could get wrapped up in this as a child, especially, and start kind of fulfilling your own, like... Like a self-fulfilling prophecy, sort of like, oh, I'm possessed by a demon. And then you just keep acting on it because you think you're possessed by demons. Because you think you're possessed by demons. Everyone's expecting you to be. And I can see why that would kind of be a circular issue. Sure. So this Jesuit psychologist proposed that, quote, the boy began acting as a possessed person is supposed to act. So really just every trope kind of check, check, check. Yep. According to some reports, the church kept an eye on Ronald, which is a very ominous statement. The church mm-hmm. kept an eye on him throughout his whole life. He went on to have a 40-year career as a NASA engineer. <sighs> right? Oh, snaps for Ronald. Seriously. Wow. Which also, like, I bet that was not fun for him, though, if people found out who he was and he's like a man of science. Okay. Yeah, because reportedly he actually lived in fear that someone would find out that he was the inspiration for the exorcist. So he really wanted to distance himself from this whole thing. Yeah. Well, also, like, especially if he grew up with people who actually thought the exorcist was a good movie and like (laughs) they were like really scared of it if they were like that terrified and to know that yeah yeah oh i can imagine the social distancing or feeling like an outcast really the isolation would be really intense probably i totally totally agree especially if your nasa co-workers found out (laughs) right and like you're like okay science man tell me how (laughs) that logically made sense explain the bed raising up and down christine yeah It wasn't until 2021 that he was widely revealed to be the boy at the center of the 1949 exorcism case, although there is an article naming him dating back to 2016. But Ronald actually died in 2020, just shy of his 86th birthday. A companion of Ronald's told the New York Post that right before he died, this is very creepy, a Catholic priest showed up unexpectedly at Ronald's home to perform last rites. <laughs> the companion said she had no idea how the priest knew to come at that moment. Oh. I have chills from that. That scares me. Oh, that's spooky. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So wrapping up on this, there is one thing I want to say, too. Some reports say, and this is kind of what sealed the deal for me as far as believing this whole story versus not believing it. Some reports say the scratches on Roland's body once spelled no school. (laughs) Oh, for God's sake. Okay. And he ate nothing but ice cream throughout the entire ordeal. (laughs) Well, (laughs) honestly, if your parents are falling for that, 
that's the parents problem. Yeah, and I don't blame a point. kid. And, you know, another part of this, too, which you had touched on briefly, is that his aunt had died. And like some people think maybe he was grieving and this he was mm. acting out. He was trying to, I don't know, get attention or just process his emotions. And using things that she was interested in, spiritualism. And like maybe it went too far and he got sucked into it. Who knows? But yeah, that's kind of what sealed the deal for me. But I do want to know, like, where do you stand? Well, if that part is true, if they really said no school and he was eating ice cream, I feel like the very first like Catholic priest coming in would have been like, please don't waste our time. (laughs) Right. I'm shocked that this got so far. Right. Also, if I were that priest, I would have been like, take him to a therapist because he's carving into his body how badly he doesn't want to go to school. Yeah, well, and they did. And the therapist was like, or the psychologist was like, oh, right. We have no answer for this. Okay. Also, if you're the therapist and a kid is carving no school in his body, I think you've got like some pretty obvious hints. Someone someone needs to work on that. Yeah. Uh But then again, I mean, if it was a demon who was writing no school into your belly, part of me would be like, this demon's got some good ideas. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) Lewis, I think we could be friends. (laughs) Yeah. But no, if it was no school and he was eating ice cream nonstop, then I would say, well, that's a closed case right there. I think when it comes to a 13-year-old boy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm 90% sure it's probably at least very exaggerated. Mm-hmm. I think the game of telephone is a very real thing. And mm-hmm. if you play it since like 1949, <laughs> yeah. you're probably not going to get a straight laced story. Yeah. For all we know, maybe there was like some poltergeist activity or like something going on in the house and it just, yeah, the story kind of snowballed. I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, we've talked about this before that poltergeist activity is known to come about when there are, you know, hormonal teenagers under the roof. And so, Maybe Mm -hmm. he was contributing to that and it got out of hand. I mean, I agree that it seems exaggerated. And the fact that the family had to, like, pack up their lives, take him out of school, move across the country, travel around, like, this completely disrupted their lives. So if it was a prank, it went too far. If it was a prank? Exactly. That's why he's probably kept it until he got to his grave because he was like... I am too embarrassed to admit that I inconvenienced people that badly. Yeah, so. that it became a major motion picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not good either. My little prank turned into that. I mean, can you believe it? Oh, yikes. She's like, I won't produce her credits. <laughs> yeah, honestly, if he was just trying to talk to Aunt Tilly from beyond the grave and this all got out of hand, it is kind of sad, too. <laughs> it's just grieving. If something happens to me tomorrow, I would like you to try to make contact with me so desperately that a like cinematic masterpiece comes out and Absolutely. people flee the theater. They're so scared. Honestly, if it doesn't come to that, like what is even the point of our friendship? I know it. I also want producer credits okay. like Aunt Tilly deserves. So. You and Aunt Tilly will be credited somewhere in the credits. Okay, I can't Thank promise you. executive producer, but I'll see what I can do. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from Possessed, The True Story of an Exorcism by Thomas B. Allen, Diabolical Possession and the Case Behind the Exorcist by Sergio Rueda, The Guardian, The Skeptical Inquirer, San Diego Reader, St. Louis University Archives, or SLU Archives, <laughs> The Evening Star, The New York Times, The Cumberland News, The St. Louis Post, Curbed, The Riverfront Times, and Washingtonian.com. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at BM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schieffer. 
Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken. Research by Sapphire Williams. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. 